Got it. Um, God bless you, all of you that are here. We are here at the Scribal Conservatory Bible Study Tuesday night. And we are so appreciative of Apostle Teresa Harvard Johnson as the overseer. I am grateful to be able to do a review on what we have been learning, redefining Ephesians 411 ministry. And we're having a fresh look at what maturing the saints really looks like. So um, bear with me and take notes so we can have a wonderful discussion after. But I am learning so much and so grateful. Um, here are just some. Okay, let's see. There we go. Sorry about that. Okay, so this is just copyright disclaimer. Anything that I use, um, uh, it has been, it is copywritten or paid for. We purchased it. I'm not a doctor, lawyer, counselor, therapist, none of that. I want you to know that any information that we're using here is just meant to uplift the body of Christ. And then for all of us to really remember and really dig down into this, we see this every week about what the Scribal Conservatory overview is. The Scribal Conservatory Arts and Worship Center is a safe place to explore, activate, redefine, uh, refine and demonstrate your gifts and talents in the Lord while being immersed in the reality of Christ. This is so important for us to remember and understand. We fully understand the journey of the worshiper and artisan and are here to empower believers in walking out their purpose and destiny in Christ and on and so forth. But what I would suggest is that we just not do an overview or look at this casually, but we really dig into what we um, have been uh, blessed to um, embrace, especially all of it, but especially what a conservator means, transforming nations, reinforcing covenant, this one really elevating Christ above man and increasing our understanding. So we can see that we have really been blessed to um, have those kinds of uh, templates available for us to fit in and learn and embrace and live out. I want to encourage you to not forget to give. These are the ways, of course, um, Prophet Andrea has already talked about, you know, the website being up, but these are the other opportunities that you have to make sure that we give. We are blessed. There's never a mandate to do anything, but um, I want to encourage you that when you sit and eat good food, you know, I think it's disrespectful when you go to a restaurant and, and you have, you're satisfied, you kick back, you're full, and then your only thank you to uh, your host, your hostess, the waiter is a burp. Um, so let's really get in the mindset of um, sewing and, and giving because we eat very good here and I'm grateful for that. So for a review, and this is really um, a brief review of some of the things that we're learning and we'll dig into more about uh, Sunday's message. It was just awesome. And even in my study time, I have really uh, just been blessed to be enlightened even more and have those truths nailed into my heart. Um, and I hope that's the same for you as well. So let's review. Christ's intention has never changed from the very beginning. His will has always been the same. He has not um, changed. Um, we'll look at the scripture in John 17, 20 and 21. I do not pray for these alone but also for those who believe their word. I want you to pay attention to the words that we're highlighting, word. 
that they may father that they will all be one as you father are in me and I in you that they may also be one in us that the world may believe that you sent me all right so what was at stake he really wanted them to believe the word but what was at stake so Hebrews 1 1 through 4 says God who has various times and in various ways spoke in time past to the fathers by the prophets has in these last days spoke to us by his son whom he has appointed heir of all through whom he whom also he made the worlds who being the brightness of his glory and the express image of his person and upholding all things by the word of his power when he had purged our sins, sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high, having become so much better than the angels, as he has by inheritance obtained a more excellent name than they. So there was, there was a process to um, his agenda, his intention that he would get the word, his word into us. And he's praying and ask the father, father, make them one. So those that come after I get out of here will believe their word. Why was that important? Hebrews 9, 16 through 17 says, for, there, for where there is a testament, there must also of necessity be the death of a testator. For a testament is in force after men are dead, since it has no power at all while the testator lives. That's Hebrews 9.17. So here he is. He's seeing um, down through the annals of eternity. And he's seeing that these are a group of people he's praying for. He wants them to come into who they are, uh, fulfilling the mission of what he was sent for. And he's asking the Lord that they will be one. And this is where um, the establishment of community is coming in. Yes, there are People were everywhere. People have all different types of communities and beliefs and gods and all these other things. But here is Jesus asking the Father that for those who he has been given, that he would make them one. And here's the, here's the kicker right here. Make us one just as he is one with the Father. Now, that's a lot of agreement. And I can see why he's prayed that, why there will be so many opportunities for for um, us not to get it right. And that's why this lesson in Ephesians has been such important for us to embrace. So when he talks about, for those that will believe their word, it is his word, his will, his testament, his covenant, his purpose, his counsel, all of this is wrapped up in why he wants us first to believe it. And then so that we can uh, share this word, and not just that, but have people to understand the heart and the life uh, of God, so that the world can believe him. I was really captured by him saying that they may be one in us, that the world may believe that you sent me. So here is his his um, his prayer that Lord, my whole life, and I'm sure he knew that, but he says. I, I can't afford for my life to be in vain. They have to get it. They have to come into community. They have to understand. They have to be one in us because otherwise the world will never be one to us. The world will never believe that you sent me. 
So John 1 and 1, in the beginning was the word, the word was with God, and the word was God. So when I started studying briefly the, um, this lesson, which was really, um, really blessing me, um, there's a lot there. And again, I still want to encourage you all to, to um, see the beautiful resources and outlines that we can study to understand uh, the journey that Paul had to, to visit this land. And one of the things that I remembered, and I have to uh, revisit and dig a little deeper, that it couldn't have been too far off. I'm not sure when all of this, I know that there were some years that had passed uh, before uh, the time that Paul, Saul was converted to Paul, and then he had these different excursions and, and missions of traveling through these different nations. But there was a long time, even before Christ came, that there were a period of 400 years that was silent. So, you know, when there is silence, then people, you know, they cast off restraint, they do what they want to do. So I am sure that a lot of the residue of all those years of silence, here, here comes the Messiah, here comes the Savior, and having to plow through all of the stuff that, that had happened over these many years and to have to prove to people um, who he was. And although many people did not uh, embrace who he was, here he was in his last breath, he is asking uh, the Father make us one so that this revelation of who we are can be established. So here's Paul, he's taking up uh, these uh, journeys and establishing the churches and giving us a template of what it means to be in community. Now, um, just in Ephesus, this was the fortress of the goddess Diana and Artemis. So they had a lot of idolatry. So he must have had to have been very courageous. And I'm sure he was to go in and having to um, strategically tear down that, that false doctrine that had embedded in the hearts of the people. That so you, we know how that is. If there's something that we, we believe and we can look on the land, landscape of what is just happening now, there's some things we would just say, oh God, how can they believe that? But there are things that um, idolatry has a way of snagging the heart and it's embedded. So one of the things that I'm looking at as well in embracing is the wonderful title of the messages that Apostle Teresa has been taught. And I, I, I'll talk for me, which is um, disrupting and uprooting the lies we have believed. And for some of us, we were just like, well, how did I believe that? And, and how long did I believe that when we're faced with the truth? So I can see how the, the apostle Paul had to plow through all of the lies of idolatry to get to this people. And he passed through there three times because not only did he establish the church, but there had to be um, the preaching of the gospel to help uh, those that are planted in that assembly, in that community, to stay faithful to the truth. So um, I can appreciate out of all the things that um, he had to plow through and understand. And, and, and because it was a very populated place, it was famous for, it was center of learning, it was famous for the arts. Um, it was just unbelievably um, plush with the things that, you know, a lot of people gravitate gravitate to. It, it had a lot of commerce. 
it was uh, full of prosperity. So when you start to go in to tear down idols, you have to really come in uh, with the truth and power enough to be able to dislodge those things that people hold dear. So here was the, the Coliseum or, or their arenas where they had shows or whatever, just different things that we can see um, that have happened or were happening in the city of uh, Ephesus, All right? And we know that it was a port city. Um, when I lived in the Bay Area in California, commerce comes in, in and out from all over the world. And that was a livelihood for uh, many of the people that lived in um, this port city. So let's talk about the introduction. So there were kind of three or four, excuse typo, there were three or four main themes for the book of Ephesians. The book of Ephesians reveals the, the power we have been given as one people in Christ everywhere we go. We represent regardless of race, nationality, ethnicity, gender, or graphic location. And we can see how this began to take root. It, it started in um, the book of Acts, where they were meeting and praying and were filled with the spirit. And then they were dispersed because there were people from every nation that gathered there. And then uh, the genius and the strategy of the Lord, he filled them and then they went everywhere. So as they're dispersing to these various nations and cities all over um, at that time, uh, Asia, but look, look how far it's come. It has reached us even here where we are. So the book of Ephesus reveals the kind of power that we've been given as one people. It's not broken down by your gender. You, you are restricted from having um, th this wonderful gift that's been given to us or receiving the gospel or, or anything. Even though there are places of uh, people with religious mindsets that will uh, take Jesus and, and withhold him uh, from a person that has any, anything that they don't agree with. But that was not the purpose of the Lord. That was not the reason um, that he came. Neither is it the reason that we've been given this template of righteousness in the book of Ephesus. So Christ, you know, he came to reconcile us to himself. He unified us as a company of believers, not individual, although he does deal with us individually, but as a company of believers. And we have been left explicit instructions of his conduct and ethics of the kingdom. When you work in the corporate world, they, they come in, they give you an orientation, and then they tell you what the rules are, what the standards are, what the policies are. And then if you violate those rules, and depending on what it is, you know, they'll have a little talk to you and whatever. But um, I have never heard that there was a code, a, specifically that there was a code of ethics in the kingdom. I mean, it hasn't been preached in that manner, but I'm grateful that here in our community, we are being, we are learning what God's code of conduct for the kingdom really is. And we are empowered to live brand new. And I know that's, that's a saying that people will, will uh, throw out like, stop trying to act like you've been brand new. Well, of course we are, we are brand new. We are brand new. And, and to embrace that identity, I think it's really important because if we do not and, and get back to um, old ways of thinking, and I'm, I'm really grateful that we get into 
challenging how we think and why we believe certain things are true as, as we stand it up against the truth of the word. So it's really important. So Christ's intention was to make them one. And we review the scripture again. I do not pray for these alone, but also for those who will believe in me through their word that they all may be one. As you, Father, are in me and I in you, that they also may be one in us, that the world may believe that you sent me. Um, there was an illustration we used to have in a kid's science class, and you would have one substance in one glass, and you would have another substance in another glass, and then you would mix the two, and you put them together in a, in a beaker. But once you mix them, you couldn't, you couldn't separate them. You couldn't see, uh, you know, unless it was like oil and water. Of course, that's different. But when you're looking at how um, this immersion of father and son, how there is no, um, there's no argument. They, it's full alignment. There is, there is not one opinion here and one opinion there on a matter. Everything is one. And he is asking that we become just like that. That there is one substance, one word, one body, one community. And that is the crux of the message because how can we even express who he is if we do not have that oneness? So how do we become one? John 16, seven through 11 says, nevertheless, I tell you the truth. It is to your advantage that I go away. For if I do not go away, the helper will not come to you. But if I depart, I will send him to you. And when he has come, he will convict the world of sin and of righteousness and of judgment of sin because they do not believe in me. And I believe that was uh, one of the um, things that we were discussing on Sunday was the, the sin of unbelief is when we just don't take God at his word. We don't believe. Uh, what he has said about us, who we are, what he has done. Of righteousness, because I go to my father and you see me no more. Of judgment, because the ruler of this world is judged. So how do we, how do we get to the process of becoming one? The Holy Spirit convicts us. We repent. Transformation comes. Good pain is good. And a lot of times we don't like how that feels. Um, I was talking with someone uh, recently about how it feels when the spirit of God convicts us and how sometimes we're just not ready to move with what he's convicting us about. And, and in my case, because you know, my, my trumpet is on um, forgiveness. So sometimes when we get to that place where there's a wrestling with the things and sometimes not even an agreement or an understanding or reception of what it is that he's convicting us about. But when we say we love him and when we say we want to be like him, we want to be one with him, then we come to the place that we are receptive to what he has to say to that good pain. And then we're able to repent and then we're transformed by his truth. So 
what we learned Sunday is that this was brand, brand new concepts, brand new way of thinking, uh, them embracing a new identity. Here was the Apostle Paul coming in to establish, actually knocking in a tent peg in the covering of their understanding. He had, he was laying the foundation of who we are. What's the expectation? What are, how are we to live now? So here he goes. And Ephesians 1 and 2, he introduces himself. And he, he has done about three tours. And I'm not, I haven't studied uh, deep enough to know which tour this was. Maybe it was the first time um, because he's now getting into the place where he's establishing their identity, uh, the process of forgiveness, being redeemed, the inheritance of the purpose. So he says, blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who is, who has blessed, you can underline that, highlight it in your Bible, blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ. And I think we grow, gloss over that because we don't, you know, sometimes our prayers are filled with things that he has already done. And instead of praising him for, we're laboring in prayer. Lord, give me this, but it's telling us right here. Sometimes we're asking for, maybe it's wisdom, maybe it's discernment, maybe um, it could be anything that you need as far as um, working out what you need for, for ministry's sake or helping someone. And he's just saying, I've given you every spiritual blessing in heavenly places in Christ, just as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world. You can underline chose, chosen, that we should be holy and without blame before him in love. Isn't that a wonderful concept that being holy and without blame can only happen through him in love? So we already understand that if it's outside of love, there is not the process of living holy and, and, and being blameless cannot happen. It has to be um, our position before him in love, having predestined us, to adoption as sons by Jesus Christ to himself. Let me slow down. By Jesus Christ as sons, having predestined us to adoption as sons. There's our position. There's our identity. By Jesus Christ to himself, according to the good pleasure of his will. It wasn't a haphazard thing that he thought about adopting us. It wasn't just something, well, let me just, let me just do this. Let me just get them out of the way. It was, he was pleased to do this. He was, he got joy in bringing us into a, a place of identity because up until then, we didn't know who we were. We, we were living haphazard, thinking we knew uh, what it meant to just live life. But in his grace and his mercy, he has uh, not just adopted us, but predestined us. And then as sons, he's adopted us to himself, according to his good pleasure, to the praise of the glory of his grace, by which he made us accepted. So here we are, he's given us, he's predestined us, he's adopted us. He was glad about it. He was pleased to do it. And then he made us accepted in him. So we can have all, we can be adopted um, even in the natural um, tense. I just saw a film a while ago of a, a there was a difference between um, a foster parent, uh, well, a mean foster parent, and then someone that adopted 
this particular child. So he's not our foster parent. He adopted us. He made it real and he made it so not that he just introduced us as, as a, a, an adopted child per se with all the stigma that goes with that, but that we are sons in him. There is no, there is no stigma. There's, we're not stepchildren. We are not, um, introduced into the kingdom as an outsider. And it, it is so important that we understand that because even a few weeks ago when um, Minister Stan was just talking about our privilege and our position, um, our, the power that we have as sons and our identity as royal children. And when we understand that, then we understand not, not just because of who we are, but also the, the greatness and the pleasure and how honorable and what an honor it is to walk uh, worthy. We'll talk about that later. Verse seven, in him, we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins, according to the riches of his grace, which he made to abound toward us in all wisdom and prudence, having made known to us the mystery of his will, according to his good pleasure. It keeps talking about that good pleasure, his purpose. He made all these wonderful things abound toward us that in the dispensation dispensation of the fullness of the times, he might gather together in one, not in two, not in 50, not in hundreds of thousands, one, all things in Christ, both which are in heaven and which are on earth in him. So there's no division there. All of it, all of us, one in Christ, um, Verse 11, in him also we have obtained an inheritance. Now, can you imagine going through all of this, being predestined, being adopted, coming into our sonship? It's according to his goodwill. He's glad about it, to his praise and glory. And he made us accepted. And we have been redeemed. We've been forgiven. We've got all these lavish things, wisdom and prudence, we understanding the mystery of his will, and there's no inheritance. He wouldn't leave anything for us. All of this that he has done, he's not only just left it and predestined us according to the purpose of his will, but he works all things according to the counsel of his will. Nothing is outside of that. Nothing is out of alignment with that. Everything is in, in proper posture of all that he is doing here in and for us. Verse 12 that we who first trusted in Christ should be to the praise of his glory. He's equipped us with all of this so that we can show forth his praise. In him, you also trusted after you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and whom also having believed you were sealed with the Holy Spirit of promise. So there's that belief we having not just, uh, hearing the truth, but we believed it, we trusted it. We, we found out that this was the pearl of our salvation. And then once we believe it, then here comes the seal, sealed with the Holy Spirit of promise, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until the redemption of the purchased possession to the praise of his glory. Do you see how many times it talks about to the praise of his glory, to the praise of his glory, to the praise of his glory, of his grace, that it was the pleasure of his goodwill, to the praise of his glory, how all of this is giving um, 
not just an honor to his, the sacrifice of his life, but the expectation that he has in hope and in love that we will fulfill all that he has uh, not just equipped us for, but has left us a, for an inheritance. So what does this community look like? Let me see, I'm not sure if you all can see that. All right. Um, what does this look like? Um, what is it supposed to look like? Let me just say that. <laughs> First Corinthians 1 and 10, speak the same thing. Have no division. First Corinthians 1 and 10, now I plead with you, brethren, by the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that you all speak the same thing and that there be no divisions among you, but that you be perfectly joined together in the same mind and in the same judgment. Sorry for that. Um, but this is, as I begin to start looking at what this looks like, we can see all around us that there's division everywhere, that everybody has an opinion, that uh, there's nobody perfectly joined together unless you're in specific camps and, and you're in a specific camp or community, then, you know, you'll be in agreement against another group. And, and the division is, is unbelievable. So we can see, you know, just across the landscape that there, there is um, a great gulf between what the word says we're, we're to be and what's happening in the, I'll call it the church world. So we understand that, that we speak the same thing. There is such division. There is so much going on. Um, let's see. Okay. So I may be dating myself. I'm going to say that honestly. But when I was going to school, we used to say the Pledge of Allegiance. We put our hand, our, our right hand over our chest, and we say, I pledge allegiance to the United States of America and for the republic for which it stands. Here's the kicker. One nation under God, indivisible. I just thought about that. You know, I would say that probably in... 50 some odd years, one nation indivisible. Let me change the wording of how we're supposed to be. One kingdom, one kingdom indivisible, no division, no division has that we speak the same thing, that there's not a different um, doctrine than what um, Christ um, came for, bled for, died for has left for us as an inheritance. So there'll be no division that we speak the same thing. The other thing is Ephesians um, 4, 1 through 6, the, the commandment, how does that look? This is how it looks, that we walk in unity. I, therefore, the prisoner of the Lord, beseech you to walk worthy of the calling with which you were called. Here's the definitions with all lowliness and gentleness, with long suffering, bearing with one another in love and daring to keep the unity of the spirit and the bond of peace. There's one body and one spirit, just as you were called and one hope of your calling. One Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and father of all. He is above all and through all and in you all. Do we see that? We may not see it, but we definitely want to see it in our community. 
that we, that the walking worthy of this extravagant calling that we've been given, that we are lowly in our attitude, that we're gentle when we approach people, that we're long suffering when we wanna flip off on somebody, that we're bearing, bearing, bearing with one another in love. We, you know, that bearing is just like God, but yes, a heavy burden. But he's saying, how are you bearing one another? How, how are, you, are you short? Do you have an attitude? Are you, are you treating people the same way you want to be treated? How are you bearing one another? And see, here's the thing though, that we get it twisted. He didn't say, do walk this walk worthy of this calling and be lowly with the saints and with your community, be gentle, be long suffering with the, the chief apostle or bear one another in love for the person that give you the most likes on your Facebook page. He didn't say that. He's talking about how we deal with everybody because how will the world know um, that we are his unless we have love, not just one for another, but that we show what it means to really be Christ's people, believers. How will they know? What do they see? What does the world see when they look at you? And I know right now the church has a bad rap um, because of some of the crazy things that have gone on. But how can we change the narrative? How can we switch um, uh, what's happening in the view of an unbeliever? And sometimes the unbeliever can be a church person. They may go to church, but they have, have seen so much air until they have kind of walked away. They've kind of moonwalked away from um, anything that might look crazy. So as we are interacting with everybody across the board, can we walk worthy in all lowliness and gentleness and long suffering? Can we bear with one another in love? Can, can we remember what it's like not to be all what we are right now? Can we remember what it's like not to uh, know all the scriptures and, and everything that we know? Can we remember what it's like to be like that person that's lost? So he's saying this is the code of conduct. This is how I want you to live. I want you to think about, but not just think, embrace, uh, eat this role, let it become one with you. So that when I was talking about, this is my joy. This is my blessing. This is my pleasure. This is how you please me. Pastor saying, this is how you please me by living like this. And you know what? His life was the template. His life was the template. We might have sang that song, I want to be like Jesus, just like Jesus. So meek and holy, humble and lowly. Oh, I want to be like him. No, we don't. We usually don't want to extend ourselves past the place of our own uh, comfort. We want to stay in a place where we are protected, protecting our um protecting our comfortability, protecting our ego, our souls, ourselves. And he's just saying, I just want you to extend yourself to this point with all lowliness and gentleness, long suffering, bearing one another in love, endeavoring, because why? 
this is how we endeavor to keep the unity of the spirit in the bond of peace. How does that happen? Because there's only one body and one spirit, just as you were called in one hope of your calling, one Lord. So he's defining it. Listen, there's only one Lord. There's only one ruler. Am I, am I the one? Am I the Lord or your emotions? Am I the Lord or your attitude? Am I the Lord or your decisions? Am I the Lord or your own personal code of conduct that won't bend? So he's saying, it's going to, this way, it's going to be one Lord. It's going to be one faith, not a whole bunch of stuff, not a bunch of mixture. You say you love me over here. You believe me over here, but you over here, you got some new age stuff going on. You're praying for the universe. No, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and father of all who, just in case you didn't know, is above all and through all and in you all. He's very, very plain to how we get to looking like the community of his heart. So in Ephesians 1, 18 through 22, this was so good to me. It says, Paul's prayer for our empowerment and wisdom. Therefore, I also... After I heard of your faith, it wasn't, you know, it wasn't just by osmosis. Something happened. He's, he heard about how these, this community of believers were acting, how they were exhibiting the love of Christ, how they were walking worthy, how they were growing in the, the knowledge of him. And so he was saying, I heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love, your love. I heard about your faith and your love for all the saints. I do not cease to give thanks for you making mention of you in my prayers. That the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you the spirit of wisdom. Why is that so important? <laughs> because in this life is like walking on uh, emotional side road bombs. You just never know. For whatever reason, without any evil intention, things just start popping off. He just saying, I want you to walk along with walking in the unity. I'm praying that you get this spirit of wisdom. I'm praying that you would obtain the revelation and the knowledge of him, that your eyes will be enlightened. So why? So you can know what the hope of his calling. And why do you need to know that? So you can't be swayed. You can't be deterred. Things will come. Yes, things, we go through things. Sometimes we get discouraged. But when we know this part, we can't, we can't be talked out of what we know about him. So you'll know what the riches of the glory of his inheritance in the saints. So he's saying, these are things I want you to know. I want you to grab hold. I want you to fully understand that this is what you have and that I'm praying that it expands in you so that you can, you can uh, move forward. And, and what is the exceeding greatness of his power toward us? What's, what's in your wheelhouse? What's in your backpack? 
You need to understand what this is according to the working of his mighty power, which he wrought in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly places. This wasn't done in a corner. This wasn't done in, in a back room, an alley, or none of that. This is what he said. I want you to see the, and seated at his right hand in the heavenly places far above anything that's messing with you, any, 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 any person or anything that's going on, any condition, any situation, far above all of that, all of that, all the, even right now, I am sleeping like, I'll say four hours a day because I'm sleeping two hours at night, maybe it's night, two hours in the afternoon. And really I've gotten to the place like, okay, y'all pray for me. Uh, Apostle prayed that I sleep like Snow White. I would see, although I don't need an apple to wake up, but I'm just saying so that even, even in my uh, lack of sleep or my tiredness or anything, whatever you're going through, um, the situation that you have, maybe with your finances or your health or your kids or your job, anything far above all principality and power and might and dominion. Everything that might want to creep up and say, I'm the boss here. He said all of that. And every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in that which is to come. And here's the thing that we, we need to hang our anchor on, that uh, Prophet Andrea foot stomps and, and says, this is the kind of stuff that we need to write this last part right here. He put all things under his feet and gave him to be head over all things to the church. So if he is our Lord, he is the one that exalted in our life and he's given us all these wonderful blessings and he has subdued all the things that uh, would give us concern or, or cause grief. Then our position is always to understand that we have the spirit of wisdom and that the revelation and knowledge of who he is that we're victorious in him, that we're safe in him, that we're whole in him, that we're cleansed in him, that we're redeemed in him, and that there is so much more that he has for us to understand as we mature into this place as the believers of Ephesus were, that in our community and even individually, we come into this place of understanding and knowing and resting in the knowledge of him. So what do we what do we, what do we talk about? What do we understand? What what have we learned in our embracing? And some of these I pulled these from um, my notes from Sunday. That our purpose is to know Him and make Him known. And we can't make Him known if we don't know Him. And we've seen how that looks, even in, even in our own. We have we can have. Um, just things we have believed and we would have took you to the mat of what we believe that it was true. And then in his kindness, he gives us a revelation <laughs> and he pulls us out of error or even doctrines that were never a part of his character. He, he's just so kind. So once we get to know his purpose, knowing him, then what we're to do is to make him know. And we don't judge people of how they grow. 
we're all, you know, all at different paces. We have different levels of understanding. And so we don't make those judgments because we don't know their pace or why they're at that pace, fast or slow or whatever. And God is not in the shaming or condemning us, but in correcting us. And we must understand that good pain. We don't like it. We don't like it. I remember as a kid, we're running outside, we fall, and then um, coming inside and, you know, maybe we have a, a, we've scraped our knee and it's bleeding and, you know, we want to clean that wound out, you know. <laughs> I remember my mother, she would get the alcohol, the, the mercuricone or whatever it was, and you just, you kind of draw back because you know you're expecting that pain. But in order for that to heal right, it has to be cleansed. And we get to the place where that, we, we kind of pull like, oh, that's going to hurt. And the Lord is just saying, but let me heal you. Let me heal you so you can walk better. Let me heal you so you can get into the community and, and um, be a part and, and be healed. Community heals. So I want you guys to know that. Um, so when we understand the good pain, and when we understand the good pain, not only do we remember what it's like to have been hurt or wounded, we make sure that we don't hurt one another with our words. So when the spirit of truth comes, he guides us into all truth, not partial truth, it's all truth. And sometimes it may be years uh, before we even get a glimpse of what his truth looks like, but he is so faithful and kind that he wants us to still know. And then it may start like breadcrumbs. <laughs> we follow those breadcrumbs and then he opens up the door to expose us to more of who he is. Unbelief doesn't take him at his word. You know, unbelief robs us uh, in ways that we may not fully understand with worry, with uh, doing things on our own. We're trying to figure things out. And he said, leave that alone. Just believe me for what I said that I would do. Not drawing back and not um, just discounting what he did, but fully in, uh, throwing our trust to him in understanding that um, his love is perfect. And he has not just, um, just threw something out there haphazardly that his word is true and real and that if he spoke it, he will bring it to pass. And that he paid the penalty for our sin and true transformation is not temporary. Now, we can look at this. We have had different things in our life. I don't know, I'll, I'll make an example. Um, Maybe growing up, you were made to eat certain kind of foods, and you said, "If I ever, whenever I get around, I'm not eating this again," or or uh, just made to do anything. Um, if if you ever smoked cigarettes uh, or anything, and and it took something in you to stop that, or weight management, you say, "I can't eat that." There was a decision that was made, and the transformation of you receiving that truth helped you to get that permanence that you have been longing for, whatever that thing, whatever that thing was, whatever it was, it was the reception of truth that helped you to get to that place where it was a permanent healing or a permanent um, enlightenment so that you didn't do those things or you were away from any kind of decision to be made to 
to embrace that other uh, habit, situation, lifestyle, or circumstances. One of the things that really blessed me and one of the, one of the comments in the chat where we were talking about how this love was poured out like oil. It was lavish, it was rejuvenating, it was extravagant, it was luxurious and generous. And the only question that I have for you is how shall we escape or we neglect this? Why, why would we discount all that he has done even in the midst of everything that looks crazy? Look how extravagant, look, look at the, the honor that he has given us to live this life, this community, to walk in unity, to exhibit his life, to walk in love, to give him glory, to exhibit uh, the pleasure of his grace and to see um, the smile on his face, his, his joy in seeing that everything that he has left for us is being revealed. And then as we will come to understand after we've gone through all of this and how we are embracing it and understanding who we are, then, then he interacts his um, purpose for the Ephesians 4.11 ministry. I can see now how we, it has been so backwards that we hold on to those, that, those few scriptures to the exclusion of understanding the progression of and the highlighting of the character of, of his expectation of holiness, of the things that he wants to um, embed in us, in our character, in our walk, so that we walk worthy and then can fulfill and walk in whatever else he's called us to do. So, um, I am so excited. That is the end of that. And I'm going to turn it back over 